Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. I'm Pastor Grace, and I'm the children's pastor here at Emmaus. I've been working at Emmaus for like five and a half years now, and I've had a lot of strange and silly things happen to me while I'm working in the office, <sighs> like, like moths and spiders and unexplainable creepy sounds, especially when it's dark in the wintertime. It's like dark at like 4 p.m., and I'm still here like, yikes, what was that? But, or with interesting people, um, this week while I was in my office, um, today, uh, the, what I assume is the original light fixture in the office, um, it fell while I was preparing the sermon. It wasn't the one right over me, but like out of the, nothing was under it and it just kind of like drooped. So <laughs> talking to Daniel and he's like, well, let's try and duct tape it up. And he wasn't there. He's giving me guidance on the phone. So I go find some heavy-duty duct tape that doesn't have unicorns on it and try pushing it up, which uh, it was a heavy light fixture. It doesn't look heavy, but it was heavy. Try pushing it up, and then the other end falls. And so I'm like holding it up, and I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> I was alone at the office. And uh, so I call Daniel from the ladder, holding up the thing, and he's like, well, I guess just like let it fall down, I guess. <laughs> But I set it on the ladder. So big thanks to Kirk and Cole, who are not here, I don't think, for fixing that for me the next day. But, so I'm not sure what that means about today, because it happened while I was preparing for the sermon. So maybe I shouldn't stand under the cupola, or uh, maybe the sermon's going to go badly, or awesome. Who knows? We'll find out. But, yeah, so if you see Kirk and Cole, give them a thumbs up for being a big help keeping me safe without lights crashing down on my head. Um, yeah, so if you've been around this summer, you've um, been hearing this sermon series about the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been a really good series. Like, the Sermon on the Mount is maybe one of the best-known scriptures from the New Testament, um, but it can easily become one of those scriptures where we come across it, and we say, oh yeah, that one, Blessed are the poor, yada, yada. Let's move on. And we move on without much consideration. Uh, but this deep dive we've been doing, spending many a week into this one sermon from the scripture, um, has been a really nice way to reconnect with all the intricacies of, of the Sermon on the Mount. And if it's a first time hearing it, I imagine it's like incredibly helpful. Um, and it also reminds me how important it is and how cool it is that we can take in scripture over and over for like the hundredth or two hundredth time, like with the Sermon on the Mount or the Resurrection story or Adam and Eve or whatever story you happen to be reading, and it still speaks to you and forms our shape and, and shapes our beliefs. So the Sermon on the Mount is getting some well-deserved attention, I think, um, because it tells us what the kingdom, kingdom of God is like. It illuminates how the world is upside down, but God is turning it right side up as he's making all things new. And the Sermon on the Mount tells us that we join in God in this kingdom work by living here in the present 
uh, just as we would in the promised future. So let's read our scripture for today. It's from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. I'll also read verse 12 at the very end, but not right now. So you can read along if you'd like to, but if you can't read or just rather listen, that's perfectly fine too. Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. If there are anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone, or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I wonder what your first impression of this scripture is. Did you maybe cringe? because it seemingly paints a picture of God being like a genie who answers your wildest dreams and wishes, or because it makes prayer seem like a magic wand that can get you whatever you want, or maybe you feel a little disconnected from the experience it describes. Have you ever prayed very good prayers full of belief and desire, totally unselfish prayers that God would totally be on board with, like healing, or liberation, or peace, and then just nothing, or maybe like the opposite of what you were expecting. It might seem hard to believe when the scripture doesn't describe your experience. We might read this and wonder about the boundaries and limitations of it. Like, what's it okay to ask for? Um, what if we don't know what we need? We need something, but we aren't quite sure what it is. Or what if it's selfish? Like, are we allowed to pray for us? What if we pray about something that is totally insignificant compared to other things going on? If God doesn't answer, is it because I am not sincere enough in what I'm praying? What does it mean about God if prayer isn't answered in the way that we hope? These are all good questions to think about. But what if we thought about prayer not as an effort to be in control of everything, but to simply commune with God and bring those things to him? Instead of focusing on if there is a right way to pray to get a desired outcome, we come to God without an agenda, which is tough, right? I like to be in control. Who else loves it? There's someone in my house who likes to say, that's my job, if we try and do anything for her. Um, what if we let go of trying to be in control and just bring our needs, thoughts, and our whole selves to God? God is not manipulated by our prayers and we don't have to be cautious in our prayers. God's response to our prayer is not earned by using the right words or performing the right deeds. Our prayers are important to God, and they aren't a waste of God's time, no matter what, and we don't need to tiptoe 
around God in prayer. God is like a loving parent. Parents want their kids to come to them and tell them what's going on, to ask for help, or to think out loud with them. We're all someone's kid, and even if we didn't have that when our parents were living, or if they're still living, we don't have that, I'm sure we wanted the freedom to express ourselves, the freedom to be open and talk to our parents about anything. But we know that with God, we can do that. God is not a dictator who we try not to bother with the wrong things. God is not a boss from whom we are requesting time off. God is not an HOA secret agent on the prowl to hand out fines for unimportant things. God is a loving parent who wants us to share with him freely. I'm sorry if any of you are on your HOA board. I might talk about that right now. But if you've been following me on social media for a while, you've probably had to endure a post or two about how frustrating my HOA is. Um, life update, they are still frustrating and continue to harass us. Um, we got a notice a few weeks ago that we are breaking our agreement, which I assume is like buying the house? I don't know, our agreement to not have weeds. Um, and it's true, there are weeds. It's deserved in that, since that's a rule, that's a weird rule, but weeds are really beautiful, actually. If you looked in my backyard, you'd be pretty impressed with the landscaping of weeds. Um, anyway. So our HOA is not the most thoughtful or reliable HOA. Um, they love to give notices for weeds, which is typical. Um, even weeds that don't exist in your yard because um, there's a mix-up and you get a notice that's actually for somebody else's yard because you don't have rock beds with weeds in them. You only have mulch beds with weeds in them. But <laughs> and then it doesn't get resolved for two years. This is a true story, two years. Um, yeah, and maybe you'll get a notice that your grass is too dry. Um, in Colorado, in a neighborhood where you can only water like three times a week. Or maybe um, there are dead bushes, like four days after it massively hails, and they're just sad bushes. I don't know, these things happen. To whom, I don't know. But anyways. And they can't even keep up the community landscaping that they are in charge of to be in line with their expectations they hold for us. Um, but in addition to charging us with landscaping crimes, uh, they also have to approve all exterior house decisions, like what windows you have, um, what color you paint your house, and even then they like still approve weird colors. I don't care, it's your house, but like still, like I don't know. Um, but it's totally overbearing. And they just, they take away the creativity and the fun of outdoor work. They take away life. <laughs> the poor bees need our dandelions. And spurge and clover grow so easily. Why not let them live? Let the weeds live. Now, do you remember Daniel, Pastor Daniel preaching last week? Do not judge. It's a message for the HOA. <laughs> they give me notices when I mess up 
I'm being really dramatic. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, notice this when I mess up. They never give me a glass of ice cold sweet tea when I am out super pregnant with my 10 pound baby Lyndon trying to keep them off my back or when I'm just a few months postpartum and using a manual edger. That was one of the worst investments I ever made. Should have been electric. <sighs> they never give me anything to celebrate when I'm on top of the yard work. They're just there to be like, oh, she just picked all those dandelions and look, that one just came up two hours later. Fine. <sighs> I try to avoid getting notices because I don't love to be scolded and I love to be a rule follower. Jason would tell you probably otherwise that I don't love to be a rule follower, but I'm a rule follower. But I only submit requests when I need to, like when there's hail damage and yada yada. But I just try to like keep my head down and not have to ask them for anything or whatever. But lost my spot. Oh yeah. So I just tiptoe around them, try to keep my head down. But God is not like the HOA. God doesn't stifle creativity or fun or life. God probably loves dandelions because he created them. <laughs> he doesn't, he's not overbearing. He doesn't hand out violations for having fun with your kids instead of picking your weeds. We don't have to approach God on our tiptoes. We don't have to be hesitant when we communicate with God because God is like a loving parent. Jesus asks us for open and free prayer, a special communion with God that is like a kid snuggled with their loving parent and sharing every random thing that comes to mind. Their dreams, fears, needs, questions. Why, mama, why? Even asking why about the unexplainable been happening a lot in my house lately. It's cute and also hard because it's asking about the unexplainable, but we can ask God that. Prayer is meant to be built into our everyday life. Prayer is regular communication with God. Asking, seeking, knocking, these are all attitudes of prayer we can have. We might ask God for our needs to be filled, other times we might just scream or cry for help or desperately try to communicate our pain and rage or asking for mercy. We don't need to edit our prayers before we come to God. It is okay to word vomit. We don't need to sound fancy or have all the words put together correctly. God knows what's beneath the words and what you're trying to communicate. Maybe your prayers don't even have words. They're just silence. God knows those prayers also. And it's okay to pray for ourselves, and we can pray for others. And maybe we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. To pray for our daily bread. Maybe for the development of our morals and ethics, for the concerns of the world, for all the suffering and oppression and sickness. At other churches I've worked at, I had a kid pray it would rain pizza. What an idea. And another told me she likes to tell God jokes. Very silly. But also, that is communion with God. 
Just like God is mysterious, prayer is also mysterious. Not in a Scooby-Doo sort of way, but in an awe and wonder and worship sort of way. We don't totally understand prayer, and that's okay. We don't totally understand what it means for prayer to be answered. Like how it describes it in this scripture. But we know that prayer is a way that we can have connection with God. It's a place where we find ourselves free to open ourselves fully to God and say all the things on our mind and even just be there in silence. Prayer isn't manipulating God and trying to control the outcome of everything. We don't need to prepare an eloquent, an eloquent treatise with the right words, the right order, edit out all the things that could be unimportant. We can come to God in prayer with all sorts of attitudes, needs, and questions. We bring our whole selves to God just like a little kid does with a loving parent. Verse 12 finishes a section of scripture saying, so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, to teach us who God is and what it means to follow God, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And this golden rule, we, we like to call it, to do to others as you would have them do to you, isn't original to the scripture, but God's love for others is. Because of God's love for us, we show God's love for others. The gift of prayer, of communion with God, strengthens us and shapes us into God's people. Living this life of love for our enemies, forgiving and blessing isn't perfectly easy. God is our source of strength to live in the present just as we will in the promised future when all things are made new. God is ready to listen to us and help us as we ask, seek, and knock. We are not alone out in the world trying to live out the Sermon on the Mount by ourselves. God has partnered with us in this kingdom work. Instead of getting caught up in trying to control things and coming to God with the perfect prayer for the perfect outcome, we can work on our ability to come to our loving God to ask, seek, and knock and share what's going on with us and with the world. And in doing that, we are transformed by God's love. So we may share that love in the world with, in partnership with God. In the Lord's Prayer, we are praying for God's kingdom to come and his will be done. And we are living that out. We are God's salt and light in the world. We are showing love to everyone and announcing the blessings or the Beatitudes. Heaven is coming to earth, and we get to be part of that. As we move into a time of communion, as in the Eucharist, let's consider some things. Maybe just one of these questions will stick out to you that you want to consider and work on, or maybe more. I wonder if you ever tiptoe around God during prayer, what might help you to approach God with greater openness?
I wonder how you might make prayer a more regular part of your day. What do you need to do to remember? What will you need for focus? I wonder if communion with God through prayer will feel different if you come just like a child to share with a loving parent instead of like you're making a formal request to a dictator or a boss or an HOA board. God is like a loving parent listening to and communing with and providing for their child. I wonder how we might try to reflect this relational love with our own children, siblings, friends, co-workers, strangers. I wonder how your prayer with God can be a partnership in bringing heaven to earth and making all things new. Let's gather around the Lord's table. If you are worshiping with us from home, uh, now is a good time to find the elements that can represent the body and blood of Christ. I will wear my mask and use tongs while I serve communion today. And we can form a line down the center aisle. And when it's your turn, you can make a bowl with your hands to receive the bread that I'll put into your hands. And if you need gluten-free, you can find it in this small container to the side. I'll say the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And you can respond with the traditional thanks be to God. Then you can grab the cup from the tray on the table. You can consume the elements as soon as you receive them at the side altars or at your seat. And maybe during this time of reflection, we think about those questions that I will read to you again. I wonder if you tiptoe around God during prayer and what might help you approach God with greater openness. How might you make prayer a more regular part of your day? And what do you need to do that? I wonder if communion will feel different, and by this communion, I mean communion and prayer with God will feel different if you just come like a child to share with a loving parent instead of like you're making a formal request to a dictator. God is like a loving parent listening to and communing with and providing for their child. How might we reflect this relational love with our own children, siblings, friends, coworkers, and strangers? I wonder how your prayer with God can be a partnership in bringing heaven to earth and making all things new. Open our eyes, Lord Jesus, to receive your light and be your light. May we see you in this common bread and in our common lives, in our hunger and our fullness, in our suffering and our joys, in our waiting and our hope, Feed us also with bread unseen. Open our hearts, Lord, and fill our cups to overflowing. Prepare your table of blessing, even in the presence of our enemies. May we reflect your light in the world with compassion for the poor and passion for justice and liberation for the oppressed. Pour for us the cup of heaven.